Well, good morning and good to see all of you here today. Turn to your neighbor and say, welcome to church. Now, that wasn't very welcoming. I'm sorry. I apologize for the church. What we realize is church isn't something you attend. It isn't something you're doing today. The church is you and me who know Christ. We are studying the theology of the church. It's called ecclesiology and digging into scripture and letting scripture define the church, not the culture, not our previous experience, and not what we think the church is. As we think about the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, there are those in America that are not very encouraged about the future of the church. They think that the church in America will go the way as the church in England has. It will fade away, that it's no longer making the difference it used to make, and people are very discouraged about the future of the church. We live in a world that is just naturally discouraging. Since the time that Adam and Eve chose to dishonor God and invite sin into the human equation, this world has become the land of discouragement. God wants to bring encouragement into your life. We're going to see the power of that today. Legend was told of uh, the day the devil had his own garage sale. He was clearing out some of the tools. He was no longer going to be using as much as he used to use. And so he did a garage sale, had all of his items laid out on tables, had them all labeled appropriately with certain prices on them. One particular individual had come through the garage sale and he noticed on the side one tool that was marked not for sale. Well, that obviously got his attention and he approached the devil and said, hey, why is that one the only one that's not for sale? The devil said, well, that's the only tool I can't do without. That is my greatest tool that I use on the church. And he took the label off and he revealed to him it was the tool of discouragement. Now, on a scale of 1 to 10 today, how encouraged are you in your life, your walk, your story? 1 would be, I'm greatly discouraged. 10 would be, I'm greatly encouraged. Where would you put yourself on that scale of encouragement? Well, today, many people find themselves greatly discouraged, or they're dealing with very discouraging circumstances, and the enemy is robbing us of revival. What we started praying for in April is being thwarted by that tool that Satan uses called discouragement. So I want to dig in today, and I want to show you from Scripture the power and the ministry of encouragement in the church, you and me. Well, let's define encouragement first. That word encouragement is a very unique word. It means to inspire or infuse courage into another person. In other words, it is to give somebody when they're lacking courage or discouraged to place in them, to motivate or encourage them to move forward with great courage. Let me show you a passage on this. Go to Hebrews chapter 3 this morning. Go over to Hebrews chapter 3. I want to show you the purpose of God's tool, encouragement. What Satan uses is a perversion of what God uses. God created encouragement. Satan perverts that into discouragement. The writer of Hebrews in verse 12 is writing to the church, not the church of Hebrews, but writing to men and women, boys and girls who knew Christ. And he's instructing them, look at verse 12, take care, brethren. He's talking to the family of God, the church. He said, be careful, take care. In other words, be alert that there not be anyone among you with an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Now, 
A lot of people will look at verse 12 in Hebrews 3. They'll look into Hebrews chapter 6 and other parts of the book of Hebrews. And they've drawn a conclusion that this talks about you being able to lose your salvation. That you can fall from grace. They'll use even this passage here and say, look at the warning. Be careful, brethren, that not one of you falls away. That's not what it says. It says that there be anyone among you who has an evil and unbelieving heart. They are the ones that will fall away from God because they've never placed faith in God. That word unbelieving there is a word that speaks of the opposite of faith. And so when he says, when we gather together as the little C, not everybody who gathers under the steeple knows Christ. Not everyone is saved. They may look saved. They may uh, give lip service to it like we talked about last week, but that doesn't mean that they have been born again and that they have a believing heart. Now, a believer can experience seasons of unbelief, uh, not trusting God for something, struggling in their faith. This is a different kind of unbelief. As a matter of fact, in the Greek, it literally says it is a type of unbelief worse than simple unbelief. It is the lack of of faith. And so he's warning the church, be on the alert, be concerned about those who are gathering and make sure that they truly know the Lord, lest they fall away from faith in God, placing their heart and their faith in him. But go on to verse 13 and look at the ministry God gives us in the church. The greatest tool that God can use in the church today is the ministry of encouragement. Look at it. He says, so you encourage one another. Encourage one another day after day as long as it's still called today. So we look at this verse, we get the practice in the ministry of encouragement. Look at it. He says, how are you to practice this ministry? He says, you're to do it day after day after day. Not just on tough days, not just occasionally, not just when you feel encouraged, but every single day that's called today, you're to be a minister of encouragement. That's the church. Unfortunately today, the church is less known for its encouragement and more known for its discouragement, its judgments, and its critiques. The church should be known as the place of encouragement. That God would use you and me every single day, all day long, to encourage one another. You've been here, hopefully, for Bible study the hour before. Now you've been here at worship. I'm curious. I want you to be honest. Don't just raise a hand to look good or make the church look good. How many of you can honestly say that because you have been among the church, the body of Christ today, somebody in the body, somebody in church has encouraged you today? Raise your hand if that's true. Just very good. Thank you. You can put it down. The sad thing is not every hand went up. The sad thing is we can be going to church, we can be attending church, but not experiencing the body of Christ, the church, and its ministry of encouragement. Look at what he said to do. He said, do this every day, as long as it's still called today. So when we wake up tomorrow, what will tomorrow be? It'll be today, not today, today, but it'll be that today, that day. You with me? In other words, what he's saying is there's not a day you can wake up that you cannot live without the ministry of encouragement. That is God's will for the church. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another, build up one another, just as you are doing. 
It is to be intentional. It is to be daily, all day long. Turn to Romans now. Go to Romans chapter 1 and verse 12. Romans chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul was desiring, and he's writing a letter of encouragement. He says, man, I really want to be with you. Your faith encourages me. What I see God doing among you encourages me, and I just want to be with you guys, but I can't get there. And in verse 12, he says, know this, that I desire to be encouraged together with you while I am among you, that each of us would be encouraged by the other's faith. What Paul said should be happening in the little C when the big C gathers together as the little C. The body of Christ, those who know Christ, gather together corporately, locally, the little C. Paul said when we come together, your faith should encourage my faith and my faith should encourage your faith. The sad thing is, if you just go to church, you don't grow in faith, you don't strengthen faith, and you're probably not encouraging anyone else's faith, and that's how Satan uses his tool of discouragement. It's easy to wake up and be discouraged, but now I want you to see not only the practice of encouragement, I want you to see the power of encouragement. Go back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Hebrews 3 and 13. He tells us to encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today. Why? So that not one of us, that none of us would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. The writer of Hebrews understood that if we're not being encouraged by others, others who are demonstrating a ministry of encouragement, our heart grows hardened, we get discouraged, and when we're discouraged, we don't want to live for God, we want to just do sin. So the writer of Hebrews said, the most powerful ministry you have as the body of Christ is the ministry of encouragement. So you have the devil who wants to discourage, you have God who wants to encourage. How does this happen? Well, they both use the very same tool. Take a look at it. The enemy would love to use our tongues. God would also like to use our tongues. God would like to use our tongues to speak life into people. Matter of fact, the Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue. What we say to each other matters. What we say uh, really does make a difference in a person's life. We can speak life into another person if we are a minister of encouragement. Or we can be used of the enemy and we can speak discouraging things to one another and use the very same tool, the tongue, to discourage somebody's walk. Not only our tongues used, but our deeds, our actions. The way we treat one another, the way we act towards one another can encourage somebody, or the way we don't act or we do act may discourage somebody. So take an inventory of your tongue, take an inventory of your actions this past week, and ask yourself, was I the church or was I a tool of the devil? That's a hard question to answer, isn't it? And if we're not careful, we can find the enemy uses us to discourage others. Ephesians 5.8 says this, Paul speaking and encouraging the church, he said, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. So find out what pleases the Lord. You know what pleases the Lord? When we allow the light of God who now lives in us to shine through us. This lighter is going to give me light if I click it right. And all of a sudden there's a flame. What was not there 
is there. Why? Not because the lighter is the light, but what is in the lighter is coming out in the form of light. Now, I've got another lighter. It looks just like this one. The problem is this lighter that is living and shining its light, this one is broken down and doesn't work. I can click it all day long and it doesn't work. The problem, the difference between these two is one is allowing the light to shine through it. This one has become discouraged. This one has become broken down. How do we get there? The very same lighter, one lights and one doesn't. Well, in this world in which we live, I'll give you an illustration. The enemy wants to use his tool of discouragement. He wants to drown you in your life circumstances. He wants to convince you that you're of no value to the kingdom. He wants to, vow, he wants to uh, basically convince you that you have no worth, that you are a sinner, and you're always messing up. He wants to also discourage you and say, you know, this life is not worth living. This life is too difficult, too sad, too hard. It goes on and on and on again. And it feels like we're drowning in our story. And so as you pull out the lighter, that which was designed to light, you can try to shake it out. You can try to blow some life into it. You can try to get it to work again. And this is broken, right? And there are a lot of people today that will show up at a church and they'll come in and they're discouraged and they're broken down and they're hurting. And the writer of Hebrews says that you are to be careful to look around and to see who there is that you can encourage today. I wonder if there's somebody sitting within your influence right now in this very place that's lost their fire for God, that's discouraged and they look with a smile on the outside like all is well, but on the inside they're discouraged. They need what you have. And here's the beautiful thing. When you practice your ministry of encouragement, watch this. Watch what happens. When you encourage someone who's discouraged, that which was discouraged, that had no light, comes back to shine their light as well. What it cannot do in its own discouraged space, they can come into a congregation, the gathering of the saints, and they can be encouraged by someone else's light shining by faith. The Bible says the greatest ministry we have as the church is to every single day let God's light shine from us and let that light somebody else's fire. Let me show you somebody who lived this. It is my hero of the faith. Uh, we find him in the New Testament. Elijah in the Old Testament is my hero. New Testament I know Elijah as well, but this Barnabas, take a look at it. Go to Acts chapter 4. The book of Acts is the history of the church. Not how we got our buildings, but how God breathed his spirit into those who placed their faith in Christ and became the church. The church are the people, not the steeples. So take a look at it. The history of the church and you're going to see throughout this entire historical account called the book of Acts, you're going to see over and over and over again this guy named Barnabas. Take a look at it. Verse 36. Joseph, 
a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. Now, his mama called him Joseph, but the apostle said, we can't call you Joseph. We don't, when we look at you, we don't think of you as a Joseph. We think of you as a Barnabas. What's a Barnabas? What's it say? Because he was the son of encouragement. What a cool title. People looked at this guy named Joseph and said, man, all we see you do is shining the light of God's love and God's grace. All we see in you is this ministry of encouragement. Therefore, we're renaming you Barnabas. Well, what if that happened in the church still today? What if people didn't call you by the name your mama gave you, but called you by the name that reflected your person, who you wore when you were around other people? Is that where we got the seven doors? Grumpy, dopey, slimy, whatever they are. I don't remember all the names, right? Why don't we see a Barnabas in the seven dwarfs? Because it's not natural. It is supernatural. And when they looked at this guy, Barnabas, he was different than the rest of the church. He was a guy that lived a life of encouragement. So how did he do that? What did they see in him? Look at verse 37. Here's the first story of encouragement. The first uh, exhibition of this Uh, encouraging soul. Take a look at it, verse 37. And so he sold a field that he owned, and he brought the money, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, what you may not know in this story is that the church was under great persecution. They were considered a cult. The Jews who owned the economy and owned the city didn't want this cult called Christianity, this fake religion, so they called it, to prosper. And so they blocked them from all commerce. They wouldn't allow their goods to be sold. They wouldn't allow them to buy goods. And they were suffering. You know what the church did? The people of God? They did what Barnabas did. They began to sell their possessions and they began to distribute that to those who were in need. The very first person who did that, who encouraged others was this guy named Barnabas because he gave up what could have kept him secure and gave it away so that other people could be taken care of. One of the ways we can provide the ministry of encouragement is through the spirit of generosity and giving. In this body of believers, this little C, there are many of you that are very, very generous. You're faithful in your giving, just like Barnabas. And I want you to know that giving spirit makes a difference in other people's lives. I showed you pictures a week or two ago that shows the difference it's making in Zambia, the difference it's making in WizKids, the difference it's making all over, not just Oklahoma City, not just in the shadow of this steeple, but all around the world. We have people who are in great needs. Maybe they need counseling. Maybe they need some kind of financial assistance. We're able to step into that because of the generosity of other Barnabases in this little sea. That's one way you can encourage other people. Here's another way. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, in verse 26. We're going to find that Barnabas just didn't encourage people who were from his own tribe, people that were easy to encourage. He also encouraged people nobody else wanted to encourage. Now, can we get real in space for a little bit? Did you know there are people that walk among us that are not easy to encourage? Did you know this? Don't look at them. Don't point them out right now. They could be sitting right next to you. There are people that are easy to encourage, and there are people that you say, you know, they're an Eeyore, and they can go live over in the corner by themselves. Barnabas was unconditional in his ministry of encouragement. Take a look at it. Look at verse 26. 
When he came to Jerusalem, who's he? Saul of Tarsus. Now, if you don't know who Saul of Tarsus is, Saul was the Jew of the Jews. He was the persecutor of the early church. These people who placed their faith in this Christ, this Messiah, the one who claimed to rise from an empty grave, uh, they were considered a cult, and it was his duty as a good Jew to wipe them out one by one by one. First one he wiped out was a guy named Stephen, a teenager, a bold witness for Christ. He had him killed for his faith. He was going from town to town trying to drive out the Christians, the church. And on his way to another killing, the road to Damascus, God saves Saul of Tarsus. He's now one of the ones he's been persecuting. And he comes to Jerusalem to publicly profess that he is now one of them. And it says, look at this, he tried to join the disciples, these followers of Christ. But what did the church do? The church rejected him. Because they were afraid of him, not believing he was really a disciple. Instead of encouraging their new brother in the faith, they thought he was using this as a guise to sneak into their church to wipe them out. And so they all withdrew from this one who needed encouragement. I love verse 27. Look at it. Look at the next two words. But Barnabas. Hey, listen, I get it. The church is less than perfect. You know why? Because it's filled with people. Yeah, we're people who know Christ, but we're people who are being perfected by God. We'll make mistakes. They made mistakes. I'm glad Paul didn't give up on the church. And I'm glad Barnabas reached out to Paul with the ministry of encouragement. Take a look at it. But Barnabas. Even when others weren't doing what they should be doing, Barnabas continued to be who he was at his core. He was the son of encouragement. He took him, Saul. He brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord. He told how he had been preaching Jesus boldly. And it says that because of that, the apostles took in, by faith, their new brother. All because Barnabas was the first one to demonstrate encouragement. Look at verse 31. Look at the results. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened, living in the fear of the Lord, encouraged by the Holy Spirit, and it increased in numbers. One of the reasons the church in America is not increasing in numbers today is because we're not the church we're supposed to be. We're never supposed to be just a bunch of people that gather up under a steeple. We were never designed to be a Sunday morning experience. We were designed to be the people of God, filled with God, the light of the world, shining God's light in the darkness, not judgment, not condemnation, and not critiques. But to be the encouragers through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's who Barnabas was. And I wonder... If Barnabas had not been a son of encouragement to Paul, I wonder what would have happened to the early New Testament church. I know that today we wouldn't have most of our New Testament, which was written by the Apostle Paul. I know that many of us who are Gentiles would probably not know the Lord Jesus today if it had not been for the ministry of Paul. And Paul would not have been who he was if he had not had a guy named Barnabas make a difference in his life. Well, not only was Barnabas unconditional as love to those who people didn't want to love, but he was also a 
a son of encouragement to those that even Paul didn't want to encourage. This is crazy. Watch this. Go over to Acts chapter 15 now. Acts chapter 15. We're later in the history of the New Testament church. We've seen Barnabas make a difference in Paul's life. Now we wake up in Acts chapter 15 and we find Paul and Barnabas doing ministry together again. Now they had been on a missionary trip, the first missionary trip they took together. They had seen many people come to faith in Christ as they were reaching out to the Gentiles. We get to verse 36, it says, it was some time later now that Paul said to Barnabas, we need to go back and we need to visit all of the believers, the churches, in all the towns, the little seas where we preach the word of the Lord to see how they're doing. So Paul wanted to encourage the church, the body of Christ. He wanted to go back to those that they had shared the gospel with. They were a spiritual parent to these children of faith, and he wanted to go back and encourage them, the ministry of encouragement. Barnabas says, man, that's a good idea. Let's do it. And he said, okay, let's put our team back together and let's go get John Mark again. Take a look at this, verse 37. Barnabas wanted to take John, who was also called Mark, with him. And Paul did not think it was wise to take him. You know why? Because John Mark had failed on the first mission trip. You've heard the story before. They got halfway into the trip and about halfway along, John Mark, we don't know exactly why. I, I expect he was missing mama's cooking. He was missing a soft bed and his ESPN, and he was on the road and couldn't handle it anymore. He said, I'm going back to where I'm comfortable. I want to go back. I'm not going to go forward on the rest of the trip. With a guy like Paul, who's a gracious, warm, soft-hearted guy, wrong, he's a prophet, he's drawn a conclusion, this dude's a failure. This dude is no good to the kingdom. This guy can't shine the light of God in this world. Barnabas disagrees with Paul. He so sharply disagreed that it says in verse 39 that they parted company and Barnabas took John Mark, went to Cyprus, Paul took Silas, and he went in a different direction. Barnabas believed so much in the ministry of encouragement that he was willing to stand up against Paul and say, Paul, I think you've got this one wrong. Yes, I understand he failed. Yes, I understand you can't see the light in him right now. But I believe strongly that God can use anyone, and God is the God of grace. And then we find Barnabas coming alongside of John Mark, and John Mark's light comes alive again. Why? Because there was one who wouldn't give up on another one. There was one who understood the power of encouragement. And let me tell you about that encouragement. Here was a guy that Paul was ready to quit on. That God was not. Here's one, John Mark. You ever heard of this guy? There are four Gospels that are written in your New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I get John. Luke's an interesting guy who all of a sudden, he also is the one that wrote the book of Acts. Matthew was a tax collector, a Gentile. God chose to use him to give that perspective. John, the beloved, you see your bookends. Then you got Mark and Luke. And those four Gospels are what allow us to know who Christ is. God chose those four. He didn't choose Peter. He didn't choose Thomas. He didn't choose other disciples. He chose those four men to write the four Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are not written in chronological order. Matthew first, Mark second, Luke, and John. You would expect the first one 
to be the beloved disciple, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you expect John to be the one who wrote the first gospel? He was the one closest to Jesus. He was the one that honored Jesus the most. Surely he wrote the first gospel. Wrong. You know who wrote the first gospel? It wasn't Matthew. It wasn't John. It wasn't Luke. You know who wrote the very first gospel? A guy by the name of John Mark. Is that pretty incredible? That one who was broken down, one who looked of no value to the kingdom, through the ministry of encouragement, he became a light to this world. He wrote the very first gospel. And God built him up, and God completed the work that he began in him through a guy named Barnabas. Let me show you another example of Barnabas. He's all throughout the book of Acts. Go to Acts 11 quickly. Acts 11 in verse 19. Over and over as the church was birthed, we find this guy named Barnabas. It says, those who've been scattered by persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, we talked about that earlier, the people were scattered everywhere. You can read through this story, and they saw that the gospel was being preached. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to the Greeks, the Gentiles, telling them the good news about Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed, and they turned to the Lord. The news of this reached into Jerusalem, and so the apostles sent Barnabas to these new believers to encourage them. The ministry of encouragement. Look at verse 23. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad, and what do you think he did? What's it say? He encouraged them. He encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. Over and over and over again, Barnabas is encouraging somebody. Somebody who was discouraged, somebody who was broken down, somebody who needed to be lifted up. We always find this guy named Barnabas. But not only those in the church, the little c, those who had not yet become a part of the big c. Look at verse 24. For you see, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit. I told you earlier about this lighter. The only reason this flame comes out is because it's filled with a fluid. The only way Barnabas was able to be a light to his world is because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. It wasn't he was a good guy. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, there were a great number of people who became a part of the church. You know why? Because there was a Barnabas out there who was encouraging them with the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 5 tells us we are to encourage one another. We have the ministry of encouragement. We're to make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong. We're to make sure that we encourage the disheartened. We're to make sure that we're to strive with other people who are discouraged. You may have heard this story before. A lot of you in this room currently are investing in the next generation as teachers. You understand the influence you can have on the next generation as you teach them every day at school, the power of a teacher. Some of you probably have heard this if you're a teacher. Listen in if you know the story. There was a teacher named Miss Thompson, a fifth grade teacher. She loved her profession. She loved her calling and believed it was a calling. But she'd been doing it so long that after many years, she found there were certain students that were easier to teach and other students that were not so easy to teach. In her fifth grade year, she found one of those such students, a guy by the name of Teddy Stoddard. Teddy, the year before, had gotten her attention. 
She had noticed on the playground that he didn't play, play well with the other children. He was kind of a loner. He was always disheveled, messy. And she kind of just drew a conclusion that this was going to be one of those tough students. She decided, though, to get to know more about Teddy. She pulled his file, and she began to read through the history of Teddy at her school. Teddy's first grade teacher wrote this, Teddy is a bright child. She couldn't believe what she was reading. What? He's a bright child. He's a bright child with a ready laugh. I, she hadn't seen him laugh ever. He does his work neatly. He has great manners. He is a joy to be around. Not this. She had to pull the wrong file. No, it was Teddy's. She went on to the second grade teacher. She wrote, Teddy's an excellent student, well-liked by his classmates. He's troubled, though, because his mother has a terminal illness, and life at home must be a struggle. The third grade teacher wrote the next year, his mother's death has been hard on Teddy. He tries to do his best, but his father doesn't show much interest in him now. His home life will soon affect him if some steps are not taken. Teddy's fourth grade teacher wrote, Teddy is withdrawn. He doesn't show much interest in school. He doesn't have any friends. He sometimes sleeps in class. And she watched the history of Teddy unravel year after year after year. Her heart broke. She realized that she had judged a book by the cover but didn't know what was inside the book. She didn't know the chapters that had led to his story. She was heartbroken. She realized that she had been guilty, just like other teachers, of giving up on this kid named Teddy Stoddard. She decided it was going to be different. She was going to return to being a teacher who believed in all the potential of all of her students. And she made a special exception every single day to encourage the discouraged, to encourage Teddy. She did that starting in August. She did that in September. She did that in October. She did that in November. Every day he showed up for school, she encouraged him in some special way. They were now getting ready for Christmas break. It was the last day of school before that break, and so they had their Christmas party. And all the kids brought all their gifts for their teacher and put them on her desk. And when you looked, it was this beautiful array of beautifully wrapped gifts, all with bright packaging, beautiful ribbons, and all stacked in front of her, except for one gift, Teddy's. Teddy's didn't look like the other gifts. It was all uh, ruffled brown sack paper, a grocery bag that had been turned into a gift bag. He tried to make it look nice, and it just looked cheap, and it looked terrible. Everybody's gifts were opened, and she saved Teddy's for last. And as he, she got to that ugly package, everybody began to laugh. She quickly hushed the students, opened the package slowly, reached in and pulled out a rhinestone bracelet that was missing several rhinestones and a half-used open bottle of perfume. The kids broke out in hilarity. They laughed him down and made fun of Teddy's insignificant gift compared to everyone else's. And again, the teacher hushed the students, and she took time, and she put on a little perfume, and she smelled it and says, oh, that's so beautiful. Thank you, Teddy, for your sweet, sweet gift. All the kids rushed out into Christmas break, and everyone was gone but Teddy. Teddy walked up to his teacher at the end of class and said, Miss Thompson, you smell just like my mom used to smell. And it broke her heart. And she realized that that bracelet 
was something he had given his mom before she died and the perfume that she used to wear. It was the best gift he could possibly give her. She wept that afternoon. She couldn't go home. She was blown away by the sweetest gift she had ever received. She finished that year, and Teddy started to come alive again. That which was broken down started to shine again. He would leave her fifth grade class. The next year, after he graduated from elementary school, she found a note under her door. It was from Teddy. He told her that she was still the best teacher he had ever had in his whole life. Six years went by before she got another note, and he wrote back to her that he had finished high school, third in his class, telling her once again she was the best teacher he'd ever had. Four years later, she received another letter. She opened it up, and it was from Teddy. He explained to her that it had been a hard four years, that he had stayed in school, he had stuck with it. He would soon graduate from college with the highest of honors. And again, he assured her, Miss Thompson, you're the best teacher I've ever had. Four more years passed. She received another letter. This time she was surprised to learn that he had pursued his doctorate and that he was going to be receiving the credentials and could now be called Theodore F. Stoddard, M.D. One who was failing out of fifth grade was now a doctor. And oh, by the way, Miss Thompson, you're the greatest teacher I've ever known. The power of encouragement. The story doesn't end there. A few years later, she received another letter in the spring. It was from Dr. Stoddard. Teddy was writing her again. He said, I've met the girl of my dreams and we're going to be married. My father has recently passed away a few years ago, and I was wondering, Miss Thompson, if you would sit in the place where my mother would have sat. Of course, Miss Thompson made it to the wedding, sitting there on the front row where Teddy's mom would have been, wearing the rhinestone bracelets and a little bit of perfume, just to remember that encouragement can change anybody's trajectory in anybody's life. The greatest tool the devil has in his bag is discouragement. Because the greatest tool God has in his church is the ministry of encouragement. Who will you encourage today? Who will you encourage tomorrow when it becomes today? Who will you encourage the next day? Let us be the church that makes a difference in a world of darkness.